And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps, inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, on your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. Well, we've said it for weeks now. When there was a bump in the news cycle, we would be all over it here on the VanCast. And sure enough, since we last recorded... We have heard from the National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman and his return to play plan. We've also heard from Canucks General Manager Jim Benning. So lots of ground to cover to answer, but as, as so often the case throughout this pandemic, not just with hockey, uh, anytime we get answers, it seems we're left with so many more questions. Yeah, there was, I mean, we have a format. We have the what. We don't have the why, why frankly. <laughs> we don't have the where. We don't have the when, and we don't have the how. So there's still a lot of blanks to fill in. And, you know, I don't think it's going to be anytime soon that we get a lot of that information. I mean, Bettman was saying three, four weeks before they have to make a determination on a hub city. You know, the Canucks, I mean, far from rolling smoothly into phase two, they appear to be discussing the prospect of holding training camp outside British Columbia. So, you know, you're right. One door opens and there's five more doors to open. We're, we're sort of in this hamster wheel where... Every little, you know, pellet of news we get uh, comes shrouded with 10, 10 more questions that we don't have the answers to. I mean, I think overall it has to be considered a good news week to at least get a roadmap. That's what I'm calling it. Sort of this roadmap of a return to play. You know, yes. we know how the NHL wants to roll this thing out, but it is so important. And you mentioned it. I mean, it, it comes with a massive if in capital letters, uh, you know, if it can happen at all. So, you know, that you have to make your plans. I mean, that's the way you operate a, a multi-million dollar league. They can't just all of a sudden, you know, find out that, yeah, they're good to go and then have all these things sprout up automatically overnight. So, you know, the due diligence is being done behind the scenes. Uh, we got to see the commish in his basement on a sketchy, uh, I'm not even sure what platform he was on, but 
uh, when I think of Roger Goodell hosting the NFL draft, uh, he looked like he was in my living room. Like, it looked crystal clear. I'm not sure what the commission was using the other day. I think maybe he had one of those, like, finger smudges on the (laughs) camera phone. But, look, wasn't that announcement and the massive levels of mainstream attention it got in Canada but also across the United States proof of concept for why it made sense for the NHL to hold the draft in June, right? Like, everyone's so starved for content. That people were eating out of the NHL's hand. It was a level of mainstream attention for the league that it probably hasn't got since. Certainly, I, I mean, you know, maybe the 20, 2011 Stanley Cup Final, maybe the 1994 Stanley Cup Final. Like, it seemed like a big moment, not just for hockey, but for sports in North America. And, and the NHL so rarely has been able to tip that scale over the past 15, 20 years. But they were because... We're in this weird moment where there's nothing else. And and it really sort of reinforces for me that, yes, the NHL draft was never going to be the NFL draft in terms of interest and viewership. Like, the audience doesn't know who these kids are. Fine. But we're so starved for content, anything to speak about. News media is always looking for a story. Holding the NHL draft in a week, 10 days, like, we'd be a week away from the NHL draft. Like... They could have held that draft, done a rollout announcement, continued to do announcements about this. At the draft, they would have dominated North American news to an unprecedented degree, and they backed off from doing it because a bunch of old white guys who run hockey teams were too lazy to be prepared to work during the pandemic. They were scared they weren't ready. They were scared of the teleconferencing format, and the NHL abandoned a plan that now that we've seen the attention they got this past week looks even more inexcusably stupid from the sort of perspective of, you know, the hockey guys who were all complaining about it. I was making fun of Gary Bettman being in his basement as he did uh, his part. I I kind of felt like he should have been wearing a Santa hat or something because uh, it it felt like I'm Santa Bettman and I've got gifts of hockey for all of you. And yet, then Donald Fear, he made the rounds later that night with the rebuttal, and it was like, you know, wait a second, all we've agreed to as players in this is the format, if hockey returns, there is still so much that has to be negotiated and bargained before players ever hit the ice in sizable groups. So, uh, you know, as much as the commission wanted to be the guy to get all the good news out there, uh, the Players Association, and rightly so. Like, they're still waving big, large red flags here, and it just indicates, you know, look, we're recording this the end of May. Uh, There's talk now about, you know, not playing games until the middle of August. Like, that, again, what happened this week, in my mind, is good news. It was a first step, but it's also a reminder of, you know, we're in these unprecedented times, and there is still so much road to cover before a puck is ever dropped. Yeah, you know what? You bring up such a fascinating point, which is one that the NHL also is distinctly aware of at the moment, which is that the context under which this is all occurring is the context of collective bargaining agreement, right? And and it's not just about the sort of, you know, upcoming CBA negotiations, although that's obviously a massive part of this, but it's also just about the fact that nothing can really occur here without the players' consent, without everyone working together. Uh, without finding a way to straddle between the needs and conveniences of the players and the health of 
the public and you know the rules and laws of, of various government agencies and i think this 14-day quarantine pushback which i'm sure we'll keep discussing is a really perfect example of it like this is not going to be the only inconvenience that players encounter in this road back to the games and already we're seeing from the league from players from teams themselves you know admissions that this is a massive pain in the ass that this rule is tough is tough to explain is something they don't like and you know it's just the start like we're not even at phase two we're we're not even we're at the very very beginning and already people are chafing over some of the inconveniences that are going to be absolutely necessary if we're going to be able to not just get hockey back but finish a two-month season in in sort of a safe and healthy way and and so you know the nhl actually as i understand when they held the GM's call prior to Bettman's announcement on Tuesday, uh, you know, it, Bill Daly hosts those calls, right? He, he's the one who really sort of gets into it. But uh, I believe, this is my understanding, that the call began with Gary Bettman reminding owners, reminding GMs, reminding everybody that the context of collective bargaining matters here, that it's a primary concern for the NHL, and that everyone needed to appear to stand together no bitching <laughs> about what the format looks like in public because we need to look like we're a, a unified front i think that was a major priority for the league and, and as my understanding is uh, that's really how the gm's call began on on tuesday well and i said right off the top you know with every answer comes way more questions obviously we're all still wondering about hub cities and where they're going to go and and there's so many questions there about time zones and you know east and west and home ice advantage and yeah. you know so oh, home ice advantage what a load what a what a piece of butt kiss that is and yet it was addressed repeatedly the other day so uh, i don't know if the league but, but with rolling eyes right they were like it's a perceived advantage right like that was bill daly's exact quote was like the perceived advantage which to me well, is like Come on, guys. Let's grow up. Right? Fair enough. And and if you think about it, like, let's just use Rogers Arena. And I don't for a second think now that Vancouver is going to be one of the hosts. But, you know, okay, so the Canucks would get their dressing room when they played. But if you've got 12 teams in a hub, uh, the Canucks aren't the only team that's going like, to be using that room. I mean, there's just not enough dressing rooms at Rogers no. Arena that aren't going to have 12 dressing rooms for 12 teams. So, you know, the Canucks would be shuttling in and out. Other teams would get to use, you know, an NHL facility, an NHL locker room. Uh, anyway, I mean, the, the hub questions uh, still are massive ones. You know, the notion of placeholders, like that was one of the big takeaways, obviously, too, uh, when it came to the draft and the two parts and the aspects of, you know, placeholders and you can be in the play-in, but also be in the lottery. Uh, again, like there was a lot of information disseminated. It. There was a ton of information disseminated, <laughs> yeah. but very few answers. And, and look, in the defense of the league, there are uh, many of these issues that there just aren't answers right now. So I get that some information was better than none, but you know, I mean, just the, the, the notion, like it was funny because you and I were both on this zoom call with Jim Benning yesterday, uh, full disclosure. I was on a golf course. I played the last four holes with earbuds in listening to Jim Benning on this conference call. Uh, so I didn't take part in ask questions, but you know, one of my takeaways overall from Jim on that zoom yesterday was he sounded like so many other people in hockey 
who you know have had all this information just dumped on their lap in the last 24 to 48 hours, <laughs> and he sounded like he yeah. was still wading through it and processing an awful lot of it. Well, yeah, I mean, I loved the, you know, his answer to the, um, excuse me, to the answer that the first round pick, the conditional first round pick yeah. that the Canucks traded to the Tampa Bay Lightning for JT Miller and has since been sent on to New Jersey. Okay, so that pick, the answer that he gave was, you know, I'm not really sure. Like, I have to check with the league, but my understanding is that this won't count as the playoffs. And. I think that's the devil's understanding, too. They're waiting on a ruling. So I think there's this, you know, even even something as simple as that, right? As as simple as, you know, are, have, did the Canucks make the playoffs on Tuesday? Like, did the Canucks make the playoffs on Tuesday? We don't know. Honestly, we don't. We still don't. That still hasn't been yeah. quite worked out. It seems like it. The NHL awarded a handful, a handful of awards today for the President's Trophy and on and on. So that would imply to me that the season is over. But if the season is over, then, you know, like there's all this sort of weird accommodation that needs to be made um, in a variety of ways and with knockoff effects that impact things like conditional picks and, and on and on. Like the the James Neal deal, right? The, the real deal James Neal was two goals away from the Oilers having to forfeit an additional third round pick to the Flames for what really they should be in jail for, which was just absolute larceny on that trade. Um, but the Flames are even going to miss out on an additional asset, potentially. Like, what if James Neal goes off for seven goals in a five-game series, and then they make the playoffs, and those seven goals don't matter in terms of the conditions owing on that pick? Like, that doesn't really make sense, you know? It doesn't. Like, it just doesn't really make sense. Um, same thing for the Canucks, I think. I mean... Clearly, the Canucks have not made the playoffs at this point, right? They're one of 24 teams. You look at the teams that have made the playoffs here, like Montreal. If the Canucks had had the season Montreal had had, and then this happens, and then they're said to have made the playoffs, uh, that would be ridiculous, right? So, you know, it's going to be really fascinating to see how all these things get, get unpacked. And I do think that, hopefully, common sense will rule a little bit, uh, you know, as opposed to sort of the precedent set by things like the president's trophy <laughs> coming off that zoom yesterday and you were the one you asked jim i mean the question about the jt miller trade like i have days now where i feel like the jt miller trade is never going to be completed like this thing is it's always going to be open-ended till the end of time now but hopefully at some point uh, whether it's uh, with this play-in or or next year uh we'll come to a resolution you know, and we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, the Canucks at least doing the legwork here uh, to consider the option of training camp outside of the Canadian border. Uh, and that sort of was maybe the most newsworthy thing to, because I just don't think people had considered that uh, when Jim dropped that yesterday. You know, it gets the mind racing a little bit. Like, where would they, where would they take a training camp? I mean, I, I guess they'd probably want to know where their hub city was and where they were going to, you know, ultimately play their games. But you know, I, I was trying to think, like, where would, if you had to up and, and now, you know, it, it's not going to be 50 players. It'll be closer to 30 or low 30s in terms of the number of players. And we know that the, you know, the group inside the bubble is supposed to be limited to 50. But, you know, where would you take your team for a quick pop-up NHL training camp? Uh, Tri-Cities? Everett? Back to Travis Green's old stomping grounds in Portland? I mean... Something like that, right? You'd think. 
Well, I, see, I think, no, and look, you've lived inside an NHL bubble, not in these terms, but yeah. like there are expectations of hotel quality and right. meals and those type. Like, I think you'd be looking at, like, the first thing that jumped to mind was something like Anaheim. Like, the Honda Center's just sitting there. The Ducks aren't using it. They don't need it. I don't know that you need an NHL building, but they've got a state-of-the-art practice facility as well. Uh, yep. You know, I, I just think there are some expectations that would probably point you in the direction of a major metropolitan city that could handle the demands of a hockey team rather than, you know, a Western League team in a small city. I, I think if players, like, if this is all part of being in the bubble, they're talking about a three-week training camp, which to me seems excessive. Uh, when you think that normal training camp in the real world uh, is four days, it was a week. We spent a weekend in Victoria. That was training camp last week or last yeah. year. Uh, three weeks seems excessive, but if it's those three weeks and then on to the play-in and into the playoffs beyond that, like if you're putting these guys in this bubble, I would think that they would want first-rate facilities right from the start of training camp wherever it's hosted. A hundred percent. So that sort of leaves Seattle and Portland, really, right? I mean, those would be your your locations, I'd, I'd think, based on the hotel criteria. But look, it's not going to be... I mean, first of all, I'm sure that's a last resort, right? Like, I'm sure yes. that's no. Jim, Jim made it clear. The, Jim, Jim made yeah. it clear. Like, they want and hope to have training camp here in Vancouver. So, yeah, it, it sounded like a, a last resort to me. Yeah, you need to have it. And so, look, I mean, I, I mean, it's just going to be fascinating to see how they work through this two week quarantine thing because I, I think this is a bigger issue for the players than maybe people realize at this moment. And so, you know, working through it, that's going to be very, very tricky. And and again, for me, this is just the start. Like, the fact that this is seen as this major inconvenience when it's the first speed bump, you know, when it's the equivalent of a speed bump relative to the mountain that the NHL has to climb to hold two months' worth of hockey in a pandemic, you know, I mean, that doesn't augur well, right? Like, there's a lot that's going to need to be worked through and a lot of inconveniences and things that are well outside experience and comfort zones that players are going to subject themselves to in, in order to get this done. And so, you know, we're, we're just at the start. We're, we're, I mean, I've sort of thought about it a little bit with, with people, with places opening up. It's like people are acting like we've won and it's really the second inning and we're getting our asses kicked, right? Like that's <laughs> yeah. sort of how I've been thinking yeah. about the pandemic itself. Uh, but this is the same thing. Like this 14 day quarantine you know, I, I kind of think it's small potatoes relative to a world where, you know, there's going to be a lengthy cotton swab tickling your brain every evening. Uh, this this convenience sort of does, inconvenience is real, but it doesn't strike me as something that sort of, you know, stands out among everything else that's going to have to go in to getting this season in safely. All right, just play along here because uh, you started this the other day. Uh, is it something or is it nothing? I'm bad at that, Jeff. <laughs> right. Oh um, yeah. Well, I didn't start it, it. To be clear, that's a classic David Letterman bit. I understand that, but on this podcast, okay. you introduced yes. it to the Vancast and our listeners, right. and there are some of our listeners who probably don't know who David Letterman is. So he's been off television <laughs> that long. Although wow. I saw him recently, and the beard looked spectacular. Still, oh, so good. Uh, his pandemic beard. But is it something or is it nothing? And just play along here. Let's just say that yep. the NHL and its member teams clear every hurdle that are put in their way, right? Like testing, uh, you know, just the hubs, the bubbles, everything works. They are about to drop a puck on the very first game of the play-in. And 
like, you know, I think we're all understanding in the hub that they're going to have to stack these games, right? Like, there'll be multiple games a day. So is it something or is it nothing if the very first, it doesn't have to be the very first, but let's just say the very first game of the play-in, the return of hockey, goes to triple or quadruple overtime. Oh, right. Yes. Like, what then? If you've got games at noon, four, and seven, and the first game takes five hours, like, there are television considerations, there are other teams and their preparation and their readiness, and you've got ice conditions and all the, like, I don't understand how you can play by NHL playoffs, which, you know, include overtimes that have the potential to go forever and think that you can have multiple games stacked up in a single day. Yeah, I agree with you. Also, I, I think this is something. This is very much something. And it's something that will matter, I'm sure. And then throw into it, throw into it the fact that these players have been off for months. You know what I mean? And it seems like if your second game back is a triple overtime game, like, isn't <coughs> isn't the potential for soft tissue injuries in that environment, like, through the roof, unheard of, cataclysmic, right? So I think this is something for sure. And, you know, I wonder... I mean, I also think this, if this is not the playoffs, right? If this is not the playoffs, you're qualifying for the playoffs. Why should the play-in round include playoff overtime rules? Like, how does that make sense? Right. Right? Like, this is this is a play-in. So, I, I mean, from my, from my perspective anyway, I think they should do something like Olympic rules. Like, play a full 20-minute overtime period and then do a shootout. You know, like, I, I think you have to do that. And, I mean, as brutal as the concept of you know this series or or someone's playoff birth in a pandemic being decided by you know the uh, vagaries of the skills competition I mean I understand that but I do think that that's how you should do it and then also one thing like I have this theory about the pandemic that as a result of it we're going to lose all the things in life that don't make sense like things that don't make sense will not survive the pandemic so like we're going to be able to drink in parks soon in Vancouver and it's like of course we should be able to do that like we've done that for years uh, you're just sort of moving the law into accordance with what we've already done you know means testing on a variety of public uh, of government programs and on and on like that's not going to last past the pandemic it turns out that that was all um, you know, bullshit politics. So we're going to lose that too. Uh, my view. Here's the thing we got to lose about the shootout. We got to go to Olympic rules. Like we got to go to Olympic rules. Olympic rules are the best. The TJ Sochi uh, moment is one of the best in hockey in the last decade. Like I don't want to see when it goes past four shooters, X defensemen go because the team's out of options. Like I want to see Elias Pettersson battle Sasha Barkov head to head, head to head, head head to head. Like that's what I want. That's what makes sense. That's what they should do here. Have the, have the shootout decided by Olympic rules, uh, and and you got to go to it for a playing round. I agree with you 100. percent I also think that the internal logic doesn't hold water. It doesn't hold together. This if this isn't the playoffs then playoff overtime rules applying to this five-game play-in makes no sense. Yeah, and look, sign me up for the international rules for the shootout. I mean, I, I, that should have been done years ago in the NHL, and I'm with you. Like, when you think of Jonathan Taves and the World Juniors just going time oh. and time and time again. Uh, it's the best. 
Right. And and look, when we go to games, we go to see the star power. So why wouldn't you want an opportunity to put your stars back out there in that situation? And look, I get that some guys don't dig the shootout. They're not good at it. Uh, you know, Marcus Nazan used to run for the locker room every time a game went beyond overtime. He, he, you could just tell he hated the shootout. And he's not alone. I think Yager, they used to have to go searching for him. Uh, when the it got around questions. You're right, Daniel and Henry. Like for you know whatever the like guys that have just excelled. Uh, Phil Kessel their- is also Phil Kessel's awful at the shootout. I don't know why. He's an amazing right. scorer, one of the best scorers of his generation. Just can't do the shootout, so it goes. It's fine. It's a different skill. But I'm with you. Like so, even if there are top end guys that aren't great at it, there are enough highly skilled players in the National Hockey League that people want to see. And so I, I'm with you there. I, I think that's a rule that absolutely should. Uh, should be in place, and and it's funny because I had been sort of mulling this idea of multiple overtimes, and you brought up something that I hadn't thought about. But you know, the other thing is, if they're in these hubs, there's a lot of talk about uh, because of where we are in the calendar, and they're going to be playing games in August. Uh, they won't have to travel; that they can play condensed. You know, certainly the first couple of rounds can be condensed. So imagine these guys haven't played a significant game of hockey in months, and the first game back goes multiple overtimes. And then they're scheduled to turn around and play the next day. Like that just, right. it, it, oh, like that, I'm hurting. Just running that through my mind, my body yeah. hurts. So like when we yeah. talk, and, you know, and that's where it leads into this idea of black aces and depth and having guys. Because I do think some teams are going to be forced to go a little deeper on their rosters than they probably envision as we sit here right now. 100%. And that's why, as I sort of began to unpack it, I thought originally that the Canucks would probably go with two defensemen, three forwards, assuming it's a 28-skater limit, uh, and that Levo and Furland are able to play. But then you think about it, like two forwards gets you to 16. That's a whole extra line plus one, right? Like that's a lot of depth in terms of forwards. Uh, defense, though, especially with the age of the Canucks defense, like if you bring 3D, you have 10 defensemen. But... As we've seen, you know, in the event you win a round or two, like it's not unheard of to end up scraping the bottom of the barrel, right? Like there was a moment in Nolan Baumgartner's life where he thought he was playing game seven because Bieksa was so banged up, right? Like there was a real moment where he was like, oh man, my last career game might be a deciding Stanley Cup final game. I'm sure I'll play five minutes, (laughs) you know? Uh, That happened. So, uh, you know, we've seen this and, and I do think that that's why, you know, as the Canucks sort of configure what their depth of their lineup will look like. I do expect that it'll be 3D. Well, and I also think you're going to look at NHL ready or close to NHL ready. Like there's a lot of people that are saying like, you know, oh, Cole Lind has had a good season. Like give him a chance, you know, throw him a bone. Cole Lind and Ole Levy haven't played an NHL game. Like why would you think that you would just throw these guys into NHL play-in or playoff games uh, I think you're looking more, and I saw you wrote about you know Tyler Gravak. I'd forgotten about him, but uh, absolutely center ice depth, the guy that played for the Canucks, scored for the Canucks. You know, Justin Bailey. Um, you know, I think Rude Boucher is already on record saying he's been told. Uh, and then I think you're looking at, you know, I hope Rafferty gets a call, but at the same time, you know, Sautner and Breezebois. I mean, these guys have well, been in the organization. Breezebois for sure. Breezebois for sure. He's like, I think he's their depth D they like best. In terms yep. of like guy who's played, so right. I think I think Brisbois for sure. Sautner can play both sides, so I think uh, I think he gets sort of a a, a bit of a thing there. Um, I think that helps, and then I think for sure you'll get um, you'll get Brogan Rafferty because one you know element for a player like Rafferty, you know, 
a guy they didn't call up all year, right? There are some relationship management calculations that, that will go into this as well. And, and so that's why I'd expect to see Brogan there. All right. We're going to get to name that Canuck. We'll finish up as we usually do here on the VanCast. Uh, all these issues. I'm working up a sweat, though. And this kind of flies in the face of what we're trying to do here on the VanCast. Because we have decided that we want to be the best smelling podcast in hockey. You know, we think the content, the quality is there already. But we also we want to take it up a notch. We want to be the best smelling podcast uh, in and the hockey Realistically, sphere. low bar, low bar. Like, I think that's a bar we can clear, bud. I, I like our chances as well. And look, smelling good's important. Hawthorne smells really good. And getting Hawthorne cologne is so easy. And don't forget, Father's Day just around the corner. If you're looking for ideas uh, for dear old dad, you can keep this in mind. Uh, you take a quick two-minute quiz, and Hawthorne will tell you the two colognes that are best for you, one for work and one for play. So you got to be a little versatile there. Uh, you can't just have one go-to. you got to have a backup as well. It's like a black ace uh, of the cologne world, if you will. Totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. You check them out on the website. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com, hawthorne.co. And use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's hawthorne.co. Use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase, hawthorne.co. And we should all just take a deep breath and smell the van cast here for a moment. Uh, we should also mention, uh, speaking of promos, uh, I saw our colleague Mike Russo at The Athletic uh, with a terrific piece on Brock Besser. Uh, and they've had that relationship. Besser, obviously, in Minnesota. Russo based there. And uh, Mike's done some terrific work with the family and all the health struggles of Duke, who I see fell and broke his collarbone. Uh, man, that guy. Like, you just you feel for him at every turn. But it sounds like uh, he's going to be okay. Uh, but a terrific piece. And we haven't really heard a whole lot from Brock Besser during the pandemic. So uh, an opportunity to... Uh, to check that out, uh, I know you and Harm have sort of laid out 10 fearless predictions. We didn't get too deep, and we won't yet because we've got two months uh, so to break down time. the Canucks and the Minnesota Wild. But I know you laid out uh, your predictions, so we'll have some fun with that in the weeks ahead. I wrote something that's up at the, the TSN website as well. Mm -hmm. uh, just my thoughts on kind of where the Canucks were at the pause and some storylines uh, to keep an eye out for as uh, we move forward here. Uh, but let's do this as we usually do. Uh, we'll finish up with... Name that Canuck. I wrestled with this one because I didn't want to give away too much in yep. the first clue here, but I also I wanted to steer you in a direction. So let's see where okay. it leads us here. Uh, this player played 819 regular season games with four different NHL franchises, an original six team, and what we would consider a modern-day expansion team. Despite that lengthy and successful career, however, he only skated in 11 playoff games, and eight of them came with the Canucks in consecutive years. Eight of them came in consecutive years with the Canucks, and he played for an original six franchise. And a modern-day expansion team. And a modern-day expansion team. A modern-day expansion team. But I'm so saying for me, modern... that, for, me, that, for me, that means, like... The, the Nashville era, right? Like the yes, yes. the turn yep. of this century. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying I'm not saying post sixty seven. No, no. I'm like the yes. Yeah. So what we would consider modern modern day expansion. 
So only eight games, too. So it's probably not a 2011 player, right? We're, we're realistically looking at a guy probably from the mid-90s to the late... Or to the early aughts. So, like, okay. So, let me think. Eight games. So, probably a bit player. 800 games. Didn't have a ton of playoff success. Clearly didn't win a cup. Um, okay. Um, no. It's not Peter Schaefer. He didn't play long enough. Sorry, I'm I'm struggling to even come up with like a good guess. You know, it's one of those where it's like I have an idea of the era and I just want to get a player out now. Yeah. But I'm trying to I'm trying to just come up with a good name. Um that's worth our time. Like my, my original my original thinking was Chris Higgins. I'm not guessing Chris Higgins to be clear. But that was like one of the ones that came to my mind originally. Hmm. How about Andrew Castles? Played for Columbus, long career, not not a ton of playoff success. Played for Montreal, yeah. Right, played so, for Montreal. Yeah. Um, no, that's a, it's a good guess. It's not right. Okay, that's fine. I'm just glad that I made a good guess. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's no, a no, good no, question. Guess, guess checked off a lot of boxes. And, mm-hmm. and um, okay, so with all of that information, let's move on. Second clue: this player is one of the few NHLers born in Charlottesville, Virginia. Ooh. Represented the U.S. at an Olympics before NHLers were involved. Wow. And I remember seeking him out to interview him as an American at training camp at Eight Rings the morning planes crashed into the World Trade Center on 9-11. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's wild. Um... Jeez, American-born. So now I know. Now I know that I've got the arrow right. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, the only guy I can think of that's an American on that team, and I have no idea where he's from. But now that I know the era, would be. Oh my God, his first name is S- Scott, right? Scott Lachance. Yeah, nicely done. Boom. Yes. Nicely good. done. Well, yes. how, how many other Americans were on that team? Trent Klatt. Trent Klatt. Donald Bruce. But he was. But I know Trent Klatt's from Minnesota. Right. Brashear's American? I didn't even know that. Yeah. Illinois. I thought Brashear... Uh, cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought Brashear was Canadian. So I wouldn't have even guessed Brashear. Um, so Lachance. Right. Okay, yes. good. Yay. Two points. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm, I'm back in this. We've got to be well, tied. I, 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 I think, think we've got to be tied. I think you might be ahead. I'm in a rut. Like, I haven't been able to guess well the last few, and I think you've taken yeah. two points on recent ones, so you might be ahead. We'll do the math here, but I think you may have surged yeah. ahead. Because uh, the final clue Don't was call based, it a comeback. The, based on his last name, the Islanders were surely hoping he would bring good fortune and some luck when they drafted this player fourth overall in 1991. Oh, nice. I like that. (laughs) I would have got it there for sure. I think the, um, you know what? It was the modern day expansion team that helped me out. Like, because I I had to think so hard about those eras. And and once I got to Castles, for some reason, Lachance was not a far leap for me from Castles. If that makes sense. I don't know if it does. 
yeah. same kinds of careers. Like they've a lot of same teams as you mentioned. And no, that was mm. a good guess. That that was uh, so you were not far Those off were there. Good clues. Because I thought if if I said this defender on the first one, that narrows it so much mm-hmm. that I thought that might have given a little too much. Hey, speaking of the Blue Jackets, Nick Felino. Captain of the Columbus Blue Jackets is Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun's guest on Two Man Advantage this week at The Athletic. I just want to finish up with a thought on a guy like Nick Felino because uh, keep this in mind. Like we haven't really heard, we've heard some general pushback. We know that two teams, Carolina and Tampa, voted against uh, the return to play plan that ultimately was passed by an overwhelming margin. But we haven't really heard from individual players that are like, hold on here. I'm not ready to jump back into this just yet. And Nick Felino is certainly an interesting case because he's got not one but two children uh, with health issues here and serious ones. Like He stepped away from the Blue Jackets, if I'm not mistaken. I think his daughter had heart surgery uh, at one yeah. point. And then um, pneumonia. His uh, other son had um, battled pneumonia so severe that his right lung collapsed at one point. Nice. So, yeah. look, we're going to run into some players. And like, a lot's been made of Max Domi, I think Capo Caco as well, uh, diabetics. Right. You know, I don't know how many asthmatics there are uh, in the group of 700 NHLers, but there are guys that have some underlying conditions. We're going to hear from some players that just say, look, this just, this just ain't for me. Yeah, no, I, I think that there are going to be just as there are in life, right? Like yep. you and I, I think because of our age and because we're maniacs, like we'd be we'd we'd go into a bubble if we were invited, right? I, I don't think we'd think too too hard about it. Um, I, I mean, I, I can't speak for you, I guess, but I know I wouldn't. Like I'm single. My wife has no underlying health issues. I have no underlying health issues. Hang on a second. From... You're you're single and you've got a wife. Well, I'm single in that we don't have children. That's <laughs> okay. what I meant. Excuse I thought me. your wife might your <laughs> wife might, might want that piece of information. <laughs> I'm worse, I, but I did say we're single, right? Like I meant, I meant between us, we're one entity you. with with no I dependence. Yes, um, you know, I, I, I'm not primarily charged with taking care of an elderly family member. Uh, no underlying issues. Like you know, I I would be comfortable taking that risk for me and my family based on our situation. But I can certainly understand someone in a very different situation based on the health of family, based on, you know, their own priorities in life, uh, sort of looking at, you know, a two month season and saying, you know, I don't, I don't think this is right for me and my family as, as much as I want to help my teammates and, and compete for the Stanley cup. And, you know, I think if that decision is made, I don't think there's going to be a ton of grounds to terminate a deal or, or anything like that. Like, I think, you know, legally those, those decisions will probably be pretty well protected, uh, I think the public will understand, uh, for the most part, too. So I'd be shocked if there's not a story or two like that that comes out, you know, when the NHL is in fact ready to enter Phase 3 and Phase 4 uh, regarding an active NHL player. Well, we'll see. First things first is getting to Phase 2. We're not even there yet, but nope. no, we'll see what that looks like. Uh, perhaps early in the month of June. Terrific stuff, Drancer. We had a lot of ground to cover. I think we did. A little bit of fun in there as well. Uh, And let's see what next week and beyond brings us. Uh, It's hard to believe, but uh, it will be June next week. So, uh, you know, flip the calendar yet again and be a little bit closer, I suppose, to the restart of hockey if, in fact, uh, the league can get this thing 
up and running. Hey, check out our comment section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the VanCast on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash the VanCast, you'll get 40% off your subscription. We love feedback. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Uh, we are all ears here. We'll, uh, we listen to the VIPs. We want to produce the best podcast possible for you. So uh, let's hear from you and your thoughts on the VanCast. For your answer, it's J-Pat. As always, thanks so much for listening to the VanCast here at The Athletic and theathletic.com. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.